Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Today, we're going to talk about thermometers with our guest, Dr. Mary Stroop Gardner. Mary has been involved in asphalt mixture and paving research for over 30 years, and I'm probably oversimplifying that, and has contributed to more than 40 publications and is an active participant in standards development through ASTM Committee D4 and others, I'm sure. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Brian. It's going to be very interesting to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And as always, we've got our producer and co-host, Kim Swanson. Great to be here as always. Now, I asked Mary to join us because she's been learning all about thermometers over the past few years and has undertaken the monumental task of figuring out which digital thermometers are suitable for replacement of mercury thermometers in standards. Again, probably oversimplifying it. But let's start with a question that you may have asked yourself a few times, and that is, how did you get involved with this kind of research? Out of desperation. <laughs> it, 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 it's as simple as that. Back in 2000, oh, geez, I'm not even going to tell you, uh, a, a decade or so ago, I just wanted to replace my mercury thermometer with a digital one because I was a professor teaching students putting glass with mercury and students in a lab, not a great idea. Wanted something more durable, less lethal, if you will, in the lab. And I went to my standard handy-dandy equipment catalog, went to temperature sensors, and immediately realized I knew nothing about electronic temperature measurement devices. I could not read the data sheet, you know, where you have to go through and it says, make a choice on this, this, and this. Well, that's nice. You know, they list the choices, but I didn't understand how to make the best choice for my application. And then I tried to research that. And every time I researched one topic, I found another topic that I didn't understand that I had to understand before I could make the next set decision. And that's how I got into it, it was just frustration with not being able to order a simple thermometer. Yeah, and there are so many options now, right? When we started seeing mercury thermometers get outlawed in different states, all of a sudden people get on the internet and they say, I need a thermometer that reads this and let me find the cheapest one while I'm at it. What's the flaw in that logic? If it's cheap, you're getting what you pay for. Even if it's not cheap, you might not be getting what you think you should be paying for. There's a lot of places you have to look and things that you have to understand in reading those simple, because you, you can go now to anything and, and you just type in a uh, electronic thermometer and you put it in Google and it comes up with a list and you see, oh, that's nice. It has my temperature range, it's a cute little picture and it says, you know, here's here's the temperature range, here's the accuracy, buy me. It's very, very artfully worded to make sure that they're selling a product but not necessarily giving you what you think you're buying. Case in point would be accuracy. 
on your platinum resistance sensors and uh, your thermistors. They have reference temperatures. Not they have different reference temperatures because they're different, you know, types of sensors, but they still have that baseline, that starting point. And from that starting point, the ability to measure a temperature changes and the accuracy changes. And it usually, well, thermistors are slightly different, but in the case of platinum resistance uh, sensors, the accuracy decreases with temperature. So in other words, if you're using one at a higher temperature and you want something that's really accurate, like for testing asphalt cement, you want to test it at the 135C for rotational viscosity or whatever, your accuracy is, is not going to be what you thought it was going to be by your sales point. If you really look closely at, and you, this is where you need to get to your data sheets, your technical information, not just the marketing fluff on that first page. You need to get to that data sheet and you'll see that it says accuracy at, and it'll give you a temperature. In the case of platinums, it's zero degrees C. So if you think you're getting something that's 0.1 accurate at, you know, accuracy plus or minus 0.1, it's really at zero degrees C, which is not where we're going to be using it. So if you really look at that tolerance rating, if you go back and actually look at what that tolerance specification says for that particular sensor, you'll find that the accuracy is probably plus or minus 0.75 degrees C instead of that 0.1 that you thought or 0.2 that you thought you were getting. So you have to be really careful about digging down into that data sheet. The cheaper thermometers that are going to show up first on your Google searches are going to have the marketing fluff. They'll have temperature range, accuracy, maybe the length of what they call the probe, the metal part, the stem on it. They might have a length on that, maybe not. If it doesn't have an option when you go to that spot to say that's technical information, not just a rehash of the fluff, but a real honest technical data sheet that says, here's the temperature ranges, you know, for this, this narrow of a temperature, when you exceed this temperature, this becomes your accuracy, you go on. And the next thing that's buyer beware is the standards for those are for the sensor. You actually have to hook it up to a meter which also adds to the uncertainty of the measurement. So, and this is another one of those things to let me get your money and make you think that you're getting a good deal. It says NIST traceable. Well, that's for the sensor or that's for the meter, but it doesn't do you any good for, from a laboratory accreditation standard. You need to have that accuracy for the thermometer, which is the sensor, any connections because that adds some uncertainty and then to the meter you have to have that as a total unit yeah i'd say that's a real source of confusion in the industry right now because a lot of times people will buy a digital thermometer that's a separate probe and meter and they'll get a set of resistors <laughs> that they can compare to the meter reading and they will say well i'm done we're good. I can see what the meter is supposed to read. Meanwhile, that probe's sitting off on the side doing nothing. And they're just assuming that it's going to be accurate. 
Because, you know, it's just some wire. What would that have to do with it, right? Yeah, and, and a connection. Why would, why would a connection make any difference? Right. Now, yeah. you mentioned thermistors. You mentioned PRTs. From a physical standpoint, what is the difference between those two? And why is the PRT better at reading temperature than a thermistor? Well, actually, it isn't. It tends to be the more preferred option because it has a larger temperature range either side. Platinums have a reference temperature of zero, and they'll vary linearly on either side of zero. But now keep in mind, not only do you have a sensor, a connection, and a meter, but you have a lot of math buried into that meter because the temperature reading only comes from the meter electronic black box applying a correlation equation with the electrical measurement to a correlation regression line a relationship with that particular sensor so you've got math going on you've got everything going on platinums in the laboratory like i said they're good like from minus 200 to upwards of 600 C. Now those are very specialized. Anything above just sort of moderate asphalt aggregate lab temperatures, you're talking pricey puppies and not a lot of accuracy for what we're used to seeing in an asphalt or aggregate lab. Thermistors are highly accurate, but they are proprietary manufactured products and their best use is from zero to 70 C, and they've got very good accuracy within that range. But because they are proprietary sensors, you know, the people that make those sensors also want you to buy their meter. <laughs> so if it's a proprietary sensor, its mathematics are dictated by the company that made them, so you have to match whoever you bought your sensor from with their meter. That's interesting. So not that the, the PRT is more accurate, it's just it's got a larger range, right? And yeah, it, it's a larger range. It's much more useful over the higher temperatures above 70 C that we typically use in, in asphalts and aggregates. But a thermistor and thermistors can be incredibly small. I mean, down to like a pen point, you know, like a little ballpoint on that. They can come in, I call them button sensors, they call them banjos, that's how they ma manufacture it. They just look like little flat pancakes, but they're very, very useful. But again, it's proprietary, it needs to be matched with, with the meter it's intended. You can't just buy a thermistor sensor from supplier A and plug it into meter from supplier B. So right. that's that's the key. That does not apply to platinums. They have what they call interoperability. You buy it for a certain specification, you know, a certain specification of tolerance, and you know, you can plug it into a meter that has the mathematics to read those specific sensor qualifications. Okay, so is it a lot of it have to do with the equations that go into the meter, or is there some kind of difference between the wires that are used between a PRT? and a thermistor well a thermistor again is it's a couple of combinations of oxides polymer oxide 
whatever you've got going on there. And they manufacture those and they come out like little beads or little flat materials. Platinum sensors are very fine wires or very fine film metal surfaces. And those metal surfaces have little teeny wires attached to them, you know, very fine electronic scale. So completely different materials but they're both measuring an electrical response to a change in temperature. And now another one that is very common and, and boy, in just about every lab uh, is the thermocouple. Oh, I, now let's talk about that. I animal. love thermocouples, so let's get that out of the way first. What concerns may exist with a thermocouple? You're not going to get the accuracy that you would like for some of the fussier asphalt and emulsions testing because those require very tight control down to a tenth of a degree c thermal couples are going to get you plus or minus a half a degree if you can handle plus or minus one degree for your testing purposes go with a thermal couple even though i'm going to divert here a little bit these standards have been around for some of them for decades the, the ASTM E1 thermometer is the gold standard. And because it's the gold standard and because it's all we had decades ago, even, well, today we're still trying to replace them. But we wrote our standards for what we can get with the precision that we can get or the control we can get with an E1 thermometer. That doesn't mean we need that tight of a control. It just means that we wrote those historical standards based on that particular thermometer or the, the thermometers that we had in our lab. Let's face it, when we're doing a new test method and you're trying to develop a new test method, you're going to grab what's at hand. Back in the days, that was going to be an E1 thermometer. So therefore, we wrote temperature controls based upon what we could get with that thermometer, not because we did a ruggedness test to evaluate what we needed for that test method but because that's what we had in our hot little hand. So there's a lot of things that you that we really should be going back and looking at in standards is, okay, yeah, we can, we can get an OR equivalent to an E1 thermometer, but the question we should really be asking is, do we need that? Is that important to the test? Is it more important to have an accurate measurement with a thermometer, I always I always use students as is the test as the as the litmus test in the lab. If I can give it to to an undergraduate lab, you know, group of students there and expect it to survive, <laughs> then it's past that ruggedness that that physical ruggedness test for me. So, I mean, a thermal couple meets all of that. You you can plug it in if if it reads a, a type T thermal couple, you can plug it in any meter you got. Most of the thermocouple meters, you can plug in at least two thermo, you know, at least two sensor probes to it. Some of them have like expander outlets for your your electronic materials to plug in. You can have that. You can read 10, 12 probes off of one meter if you want. Not all simultaneously, but you can, you know, you can rotate the little dial and check the temperatures. It's very versatile. It's very consistent. It's very rugged. It covers a wide range of temperatures with a reasonable level of accuracy. That plus or minus one degree will get you up to, I forget, something like 250 to 
I think it may be 350 degrees C, which covers just about anything we want to do, except for maybe an autoclave in, in an asphalt lab. Again, do we need that accuracy or do we need something more reliable, less accurate, but more consistent and more reliable? And that's where you need to go back and look at the attended use. Yeah, and I love that point because I, I think that's at the crux of all the conversations that need to take place in standards development. As we learn more, as you know, you have taken a lot of the information that you've learned and tried to convey that to some of the ASTM standards development subcommittees, as well as getting some of that coordinated with ASHTO through an effort to harmonize the standards. How has that philosophy of not just focusing on getting the most accurate thermometer no matter what to getting the most appropriate thermometer that gets us the best accuracy we're going to get given the circumstances. How has that been received in the standards development uh, world? I think right now both ASHTO and ASTM, they're just trying to get their head around an or equivalent, you know, where it says ASTM E1 thermometer or equivalent. They're just trying to figure out what's an or, or an equivalent. There's some of the standards, you know, a few years ago when everybody was trying to go electronic, they threw everything into the standard. You can have a platinum resistance, a thermistor, or a thermal couple. And given the temperature range and the accuracy that was needed for the test, two of the three of those were not appropriate. And the standards, you know, even if you're going to write an OR equivalent, there's four things you need to know if you're going to pick out an equivalent electronic sensor for an E1 sensor. And, and I dare anyone to pick up an ASTM standard or an ASHTO standard for that matter and find these four things. It is, I call it the scavenger hunt. <laughs> it truly is. I'll give you four points if you find all four. I read the entire ASHTO standard book. Didn't find one that had all four. Well, I can promise you, you'll find ones that are wrong that I did. Oh, you'll find some ones that are wrong <laughs> that I did. So yeah, you, know, you don't have, you don't, haven't cornered the market on that one. Right, right. Well, we're, we're learning so much as we go and the information's so scattered. And I think that's one of the, one of the contributions you've made is by trying to consolidate all that information that's just scattered about the world and in different research articles and NIST and some other places and trying to get it to make sense and, and for a, a lay person to pick it up and say, okay, I can kind of understand that. That may help me figure out what I can buy or how to write it in the standard. But I don't want to go too far in that direction. Let's hear those four items. Let's pick on an ASTM standard. In fact, I think it's, I, I was just working on something. ASTM 2627, 20, 20, 20, for uh, compacted bulk specific gravity. You go to the apparatus section that says thermometer. And right now it'll say E1 thermometer or platinum or thermos, thermistor. And it has a couple of vague things in there. It says, you know, maximum scale error and divisions or subdivisions or something like for whatever the word wording was. But that doesn't translate anything to your average, I want to go buy one, you know, what am I looking at? 
So that's all it has in there. But you need to know, what are you using that thermometer for? It should say in there, thermometer for use in water bath, thermometer for use in oven, because those are going to be two completely different thermometer requirements. And if you can use a thermistor in, the, in a you know, room temperature water bath, but not so much in, a, in an oven to heat up your asphalt. So you can't just assume that one thermometer is going to be good for both conditions. And if you go to uh, 2726, it'll say thermometer, but it won't. And then also in the apparatus section, it'll list water bath and oven. So if I'm not an experienced user, I'm going to go, well, is that thermometer for the oven? Because that has plus or minus temperature requirements. And so does the water bath. So I don't know where the thermometer is supposed to be used. So I'm confused to begin with. Where am I using this thermometer? And then I go look for a temperature range because that's also going to play into which of, of platinum or thermistor is going to work. Okay. There's no temperature range because it doesn't tell me what I'm sticking the thermometer in. Is it the 110 plus or minus whatever for the oven? Or is it 25C plus or minus whatever for the water bath? That's going to be a big problem. I can't find that. I can make the assumption it's for the water bath because I've done like, I don't know, a few thousand of those tests. So I know the thermometer goes in the water bath. Okay. I also know my oven has one, but it's a different one, so I ignore it. But new users aren't going to know that, and it's not written in the standard. So first off, I don't know what it's being used for. The intended use is item one on my scavenger hunt, so I get zero points on this for 2726. Temperature range, because I don't know what it's intended to be used for, you get zero points there, because I have to guess. Users of a standard shouldn't make me guess. And then if I don't know the temperature range and I don't know what it's used for, what is the required accuracy for the thermometer? It says maximum scale error. So is that accuracy? Is that division? It says plus or minus. Is that, uh, I don't know what it is. You know, I can make a guess if I, if I assume that it's in the water bath and, and it's 25C plus or minus, I don't know what the divisions are, plus or minus, whatever. I'm going to take that as my tolerance range. When you see a plus or minus, that's a tolerance range. And you really need that tolerance range. You can't just say an accuracy of one degree C or a scale error of whatever. You're going to shop for your sensor by tolerance. That's the manufacturer keyword. If they're not giving you marketing fluff, that's the word you should be looking for. So you're looking for a plus or minus range. So if it's water bath and I'm going with a 25 temperature, then I'm going to assume that that requirement is going to be that plus or minus range. But that 25 whatever is for my water bath, not for the thermometer. If you're measuring something, you want whatever you're using to measure something to be much more accurate than what you're trying to control. So really, that plus or minus range that I can find in that standard is really for the water bath. So I now have to make another assumption. What accuracy am I going to look for? Now, it did say on the thermometer uh, maximum scale error of something. So 
I'll twitch and assume that that's going to be my tolerance range on the thermometer. Can you give D2726 a half point for that one? I'm still guessing. <laughs> if I have to still guess, zero. it doesn't get a point because I could be wrong. Because if you go look at E1, you know, for the thermometers and all that laundry list of, of characteristics they have for a thermometer, they'll have maximum scale error listed there. They'll have subdivisions on the thermometer. If I'm in the lab and I'm reading a temperature and the mercury column falls between two lines, I'm going to record the temperature as the temperature where the mercury is closest to that line. So that's sort of common sense approach to plus or minus accuracy. I'm going to read that division line plus or minus a half a division. You can sort of make the case for plus or minus is half a division of whatever your thermometer is. And in some cases, that will also match with the scale error listed for that thermometer. And in other cases, it won't. It will be the same as the subdivisions. So, you know, where are you on the grand scheme of figuring out what's an equivalent for a thermometer? In some of these cases, you have to go with common sense. It's like, how am I reading that mercury thermometer? Go with that. That was number three on the temperature scavenger hunt. So if I were at zero, or you can give like maybe a half a point if you want to be really generous, you know, for, you know, guessing at the intended use, guessing at your temperature, temperature range, and making an engineering judgment call on accuracy. So now you're down to the fourth and final item on the scavenger hunt, and it's dimensions. You know, you go into the lab and you, you got to hang a thermometer in that water bath somehow. You know, we, we used to always have like the big, you know, square plastic tub that, you know, we used for a water bath. So you stick your thermometer in there. Now, some of those have, you know, that you can change the hole of your thermometer and your holder for that so that you don't really have to worry about the diameter of your probe or whatever. But there are a lot of test methods that have very specific and in some case tight dimensional requirements where it has to fit through a port in the top of some kind of large cover or it has to you know go down within two millimeters of the bottom and be you know so far below the surface or whatever so you need to know those dimensions because you need to you, you need to order your electronic equivalent with the dimensions that are going to measure the material in the location that that E1 mercury thermometer did. But if you, like in 2726, it doesn't say, it says a water bath, you measure the temperature. Well, that's nice. Do you measure it in, at the midpoint in the water bath? Do you measure it at the bottom of where you're hanging your, your sample in the, in the basket in the water? Where do you put the thermometer? And in the case of mercury thermometers, your total uh, immersion thermometers measure temperature over the height from the bottom of the bulb to the height of the column. So basically, depending on your thermometer, anywhere between six and eight inches, okay, and your temperature. That means you're averaging the temperature for that thermometer over that six to eight inches. Platinum sensors are maybe, you can get them smaller, but they're like maybe two inches you know, 50 millimeters. And then you have what they call immersion depth, you know, where you have to get past that so that you're not having any thermal or 
external conductivity playing a game with your sensor. So you have to have that minimum immersion depth to where if you keep putting it down, you're still going to get the same temperature. But if you pull it up past that limit, then you're going to start to play games with the temperature. So you have to know what that measurement area is on your replacement thermometer, your electronic thermometer. And I can guarantee you, if you think trying to find these four items in a standard is sort of interesting, try and find a minimum immersion depth on any thermometer data sheet. It's, you're going to have to test for it. You have to evaluate it before you put that thermometer in service. You need to know what it is. But the user also needs, like I was saying, needs to know where to put it because you, you're now replacing a thermometer that was averaging the temperature over six to eight inches with something that's now measuring or averaging the temperature over maybe four inches. Could be more depending upon the sensor. Like I said, you don't know. And for a thermistor and also for a thermocouple, these guys are what's called bead sensors. They're small, somewhere between the size of a pen tip to maybe a small button, okay? And of course, you're gonna get some thermal business going on with the metal stem, but that's gonna be a shorter area. So where do you put this sensing location? You need to know the dimensions, how far it's coming down, how close it is to the sample. Again, none of this is in our standards. Now, some of the asphalt standards, like, you know, um, distillation and what have you, those have very, you know, penetration, right. those all have very specific places. But a lot of ours don't. And like circulation baths, you're going to get eddies and currents and temperature differentials. So where do you put it? Again, this is one of the things I like about thermocouples. I've, first off, don't try this at home, okay? You can make your own thermocouples and your own thermocouple. It's very easy. Remember I said you could put more than one thermocouple on a stem? There are some, you can even buy them. They're not, you have to dig for them. But you can get those little metal baton probes where they have thermocouples at various distances along that probe. So you're actually getting measurements at differential heights in, in a solution or a bath. So that might be a way to mimic an E1 thermometer that's measuring over six to eight inches of currents and eddies. They're still bead sensors, but at least you're getting measurements at different levels in a bath or an oven or whatever medium material that you're trying to measure. So you're going to get less accuracy with your thermocouples, but you've got a lot more options that are a lot easier to implement and much more cost effective. These other, your platinums and your thermistors, they're, they're, they're coming down in price, but when they come down in price, you also don't get quite as good quality as you should, you know, you should be working at. But again, I'm wondering, but there's a lot of things to consider and just finding an electronic equivalent for your E1 is at this point, it's an academic exercise and we really haven't taken it to that next level to ask, do we really need as tight a control as an E1 thermometer? Or yeah. can we trade off a little accuracy for the flexibility in, in different measurements, multiple measurements, 
withstanding abuse, especially on a construction site. Yeah, it's interesting. I like your example of 2726 because you've got water tanks that these thermometers are going to be placed in that they could be five gallons, they could be 50 gallons. They could, you know, they could be all different shapes and sizes and depths and different temperature gradients. Some may be stirred. I used to have a little a little mini stir in the bottom just to keep the water circulating. But then when I go to test, I turn the circulation off so it's not bumping the basket around just to, you know, make sure that things were as consistent as possible. Of course, you have, you know, you have to teach the students to, you know, wait for the water to stop wiggling. But we all have so many variations of you have a water bath, you stick a sample in it, you stick a thermometer in it, we're good to go. So, yeah, it's it's the Wild West out there, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned ruggedness studies, and that's just for, for those listening who aren't familiar with standards lingo, ruggedness is not necessarily like dropping it off a building <laughs> and seeing what happens. There's a lot. So can you give us a kind of a layman's description of what a ruggedness study is? It's basically an orchestrated evaluation of what's important and what's not. In other words, you start with the assumption that you know what's going to impact test results. Temperature. You know temperature is going to influence it, but you're not quite sure how tight a temperature it needs to be to keep the results consistent. So you're going to design an experiment that measures the specific gravity at 25 plus or, you know, you get a fancy one, plus or minus 0.1 degrees and a specific gravity, 25 plus or minus 0.5 degrees and another set of test results, 25 plus or minus one. And you take those different temperature ranges or, you know, using different thermometers that have different temperature ranges and see if those make a difference. A recognition study is just just seeing what things could influence the results, but at what level does that factor start to influence those? In other words, there's always a threshold value. And what a ruggedness study is trying to do is establish that threshold value. So it sounds like there's a lot of research that needs to be done. So for those of you in the academic arena, there are limitless possibilities out there for studies to bring (laughs) TRB. (laughs) Trust me, for the academic world who's always looking for for the next source of graduate student funding, yes. But to be honest, there's an entire possibility you can data mine a lot of this ruggedness information just from the the data you collect for your proficiency programs. All you need to do is tailor your questionnaire to specifically collect some specific information on these key ruggedness topics and then take the data because you've got a huge database source to do it. Start taking that and linking that with the variability, you know, the Uden plots that you're doing. That's a perfect example of there's something going on in the standard that we haven't yet accounted for. And I think with questions specifically targeted for some of these ruggedness questions, I think you can start pulling out those factors just from the proficiency sample data without having to have a full-fledged, let's make samples and send them out. I've done that before, please. No. Work with what you've got. You've got a huge database. Mine it. Yeah, that's that's good advice for us. And uh, 
What one other thing I wanted to ask you about is so we've talked about the different type of thermometers and and how they're used. If I'm buying a thermometer and I see that the marketing or whatever it says on the website says that it's going to be accurate to this or whatever language they use, how can I verify that? How can I ensure that what I'm what I purchased is is going to work for the standard that I'm uh, using? The easiest way, especially in the lab, to verify is with a comparison. You stick the thermometer that you're using in a material, you know, a medium air, if it's an oven, a water bath, an oil bath, whatever it is, you stick your, your normal thermometer in there and you put your new thermometer in there next to it and you start recording data. You're going to have to figure out your minimum immersion depth for your new thermometer anyway because you need to know how much of that stem is actually contributing to the temperature. You don't want to pull it out so far that your room temperature is contributing to it. So you're going to have to do a side-by-side -side verification anyway to establish that. So you might as well just record the temperature and then just check the temperature as it goes. In the statistics subcommittee, we're working on looking at equivalency testing rather than hypothesis testing because equivalency testing goes backwards and it makes the mathematical assumption that your thermometers are different until proven otherwise and it takes much less data to prove that if you come up with an equivalency test that says they're equivalent it takes much less testing to get to that point than it does to do your hypothesis testing to say it is similar so it's a backwards way of looking at it it could be a faster way of looking at comparison testings just to get an idea of what you've got going but just you're going to have to do some comparison testing before you ever use a little critter yeah, that's kind of what we've been trying to tell people about calibration is that you really need that direct comparison for calibration rather than making assumptions based on a resistor or, you know, some theoretical determination. It's got to be the one-to-one -one comparison if it, you really want to get in there and find out what's going on. It cannot be electronic. It, remember, the, the thermometer is from tip to meter. And if you're calibrate, you, you stick an E1 thermometer in something and you read the temperature, that's a thermometer. And you stick a probe in the same medium and you read a temperature. So from tip to meter, that is a thermometer. So you have to, to compare a thermometer, an entire thermometer, to an entire thermometer. Now, one question that... I'm going to ask you, and it's okay if you don't have an answer to this one, but as you've been doing all this research and study and execution of making these changes, did anything jump out at you? Was anything a surprise or was anything, uh, did you have any epiphanies that were just really impactful to you? Still the same thing where I started. I have absolutely, ordering an electronic thermometer is very confusing, very difficult, and if I were still running a lab today, especially an accredited one, I would not touch a digital thermometer without checking it first. It, it's trust but verify. You can't just stick it in there and assume it's good to go. Trust but verify. That's always a good strategy. Uh, <laughs> where do you see this project and uh, the use of digital thermometers and the understanding of digital thermometers going? I see us getting better at writing standards so the user doesn't have to go through this massive learning curve and try and figure it out because they change every six months how 
people are marketing these thermometers change. And that means we have to keep figuring out how to read their data sheets or not no data sheets, how to deal with that. That's a biggie. I, I do truly see us getting better at writing standards. I would love to see us get to the point where as a, a subset, a niche market, we write the equivalent of an E1 standard for the digital thermometers. And I don't mean the big fancy ones that nobody can understand the wording that comes from the temperature committee. I mean, just something that's very practical, very straightforward, that manufacturers of sensors can go to, just like they go to E1 thermometers, say, here's, you know, here's the range of, of stem links for these things. Here's how, you know, so that everybody has an idea when you order, uh, it has a designation, you, like for E1, you order a 17F. It would be nice to have an electronic equivalent so that everybody knows that, that this is what they need for that test and that it has to be marketed as such. But that's, you know, again, that's, that's more of the, the manufacturing side of it. That would be great. And I know standards development organizations and users would really appreciate that as well. Uh, now, uh, years ago, you published some, they were kind of uh, newsletters or the fact sheets. Are those still available online somewhere? Yeah, the, think of them as my quest to learn about how to order a sensor. They're a bit snarky, but yeah, they're on the ASTM D4 website under additional references or additional resources. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so that's on the ASTM website under D4 committee documents. Now, Kim, you've been quiet, and but I see your eyes are still open, so that's a good sign. She has uh, drifted to sleep. I am not asleep. I have been engaged this entire time, just quiet. Yes. Okay. Well, how are we doing? Are there any questions kind of lying out there in your mind that you want to ask Mary? Yeah. Just for a laboratory who is just getting their feet wet with replacing and finding the equivalent, what are your top advice for, for someone just starting this process of finding an equivalent that's appropriate for them. Do you have like one thing, a go-to thing for them? The closest you can get to some guidance right now is ASTM was at D8055, the Sustainability Subcommittee. We, uh, Maria and I finally got a basic roadmap to D4 equivalent thermometers. And it helps give you an idea of at least the type of thermometer you're looking for. It's not going to give you a lot of specific guidance, but it will tell you for your particular needs for that thermometer. And it's listed, I believe we've got it listed by E1 thermometers typically used in D4 and equivalent thermometers, for electronic ones that would match those. So you can know if you're using ASTM, whatever, you can go and see if, you know, you, you need a platinum thermometer or if a thermal couple will do or you know, the type of tolerance you're going to need to look for to get that particular sensor and thermometer to read what you've got. So ASTM 8055, I think, would be the go-to starting place. One more thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, Mary, if anybody listening wants to get in touch with you about any of the things we discussed today, how might they find you? Uh, just email me. That's That works best. Mary Stroop Gardner at Outlook.com. Dr. Mary Stroop Gardner, 
thank you so much for coming to join us today and talk about thermometers and alternatives to mercury thermometers on Ashto Resource Q&A. Uh, we hope you had a good time and come back and see us again and maybe we can talk about something else next time. Something a little more interesting. <laughs> what could be more interesting than thermometers? Come on. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Astro Resources' Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.